And when we communicate to people that the, the shame that they're feeling is toxic and unhealthy, we suggest to them that the problem is, is with them, that uh, if, if only they would um, uh, break free of this unhealthy emotion, all would be well or something. And I want to say, no, all would not be well. All is not well if our community is downgrading people uh, for these reasons. Welcome back to the Winsome Conviction Podcast. My name is Tim Yohoff. I'm a professor of communication at Biola University in La Mirada, California, and also the co-director of what we call the Winsome Conviction Project. And it's a blast to be able to do this with my friend and colleague, Dr. Rick Langer. Thanks, Tim. And uh, as Tim mentioned, I'm Rick Langer, and I'm the co-director with Tim and also professor of biblical studies and theology here at Biola University and the director of the Office of Faith and Learning. And we have here with us uh, a friend and colleague, Greg Tenelsoff, one of our philosophy professors in the undergrad philosophy program. And uh, he's written a fascinating book called For Shame. Um, and it, he's spent a lot of time thinking deeply about the issue of shame, partly because of experience that he had just as a philosopher digging into Confucian philosophy and thought in a context of an honor-shame culture where shame was not a thing that you question the social value of, and we seem to live in a moment where we do it. So it's a great book. We recommend it highly. And we're just picking up on some themes that we've already begun to touch base with, Armin, in the previous uh, edition of this podcast. And let me just say it's a blast, Bill, to do this. One of the great things about Biola University is the people we get to work with and people we highly esteem. Uh, we couldn't get any of them today. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> we had to go with Craig, but we hope that in the future. <laughs> wow. All right, all right, let me stop. So, stop, Craig. So, Tim. <laughs> Welcome to the Winston. <laughs> no, listen, seriously. All my students, I'm a comp professor. All my students read a wonderful book Greg wrote called I Told Me So about self deception. Huge topic. It, it snagged a Christianity Today book, book of the Year award. I'm a big person on perspective taking. So they also read Confucius for Christians, which is Greg's awesome attempt to do perspective taking with the teachings of Confucius and learn from them as a Christian. It's masterful. So Greg, Welcome. I'm Thank so, you. I'm so Thank sorry. You. <laughs> so you need to kind of work on your technique. I'm okay. giving compliments, Tim, but that was a great, a great recovery. So well done. So We're Dr. really happy to be yeah. here. This is, this is great so far. <laughs> so Greg, one of the things we talked a little bit about last time was uh, social media as a context. As we, we talked about, you know, honor, shame isn't a thing we have tended to do in the West, but that's really kind of come back to the forefront of our, our, of our kind of cultural environment again somehow uh, in, in the last you know, 10 or 12 years, it seems like. So relative to this issue, I just made the observation when I was thinking about this that it seems to me like for teenagers at this point, the social media context is working very effectively for shaming it's very easy, the amount of you know, anxiety, depression, and things like that that are associated with, with kids who spend a lot of time in social media is well demonstrated. But unfortunately, it seems to be very bad at granting honor. Or when it does grant honor, it's kind of the equivalent, the psychological equivalent of junk food. It's junk food honor. It's really trivial. So we end up in this awkward situation where it seems like we have full-blown shaming, but if you think about this, is where's the deposit that you make into your account for these withdrawals? The answer is there really isn't a parallel 
source of honor. So could you unpack that for us a little bit, or what are your thoughts about this context at the, this point? You have kids who kind of live in this mm -hmm. realm, right? Yeah. I mean, this is... My kids don't use social media. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's a nice observation. Um, this much seems right. I mean, uh, social media is a is a platform conducive to thoroughgoing shaming, and and uh, the lives of teenagers are sometimes undone uh, by yeah, the shame yeah. that they experience in social media. Uh, and I think maybe it was uh, Tim who said earlier that going viral is, oh. is a fearful uh, term. But it's also a sort of aspirational um, uh, yeah. description. So if your if you're whatever dance video goes viral, right, uh, that's a kind of honor. Uh, there, there's a kind of honor associated with going viral. Is it, is it, is it junk honor? Is it... Um, there, I just don't know. I think I think we'd have to be in the mind of our teens to know just how much uh, social credit do you acquire when your dance video goes mm. viral. One possibility is, though you acquire a lot of social credit for a moment, everybody recognizes it to be fleeting mm. and not something to be uh, all that um, thoroughly celebrated. And if so, then it really is a kind of shallow and fleeting honor that's available to you but a kind of lasting and destructive shame that's available to you through social media. Yeah, that's one of the things I was going to say is that it, it seems clear that the sh glory is fleeting yeah. um, in a you know profoundly fleeting sense, not just all glory is fleeting, but th it, this in particular. But it seems like a shame is the gift that keeps on giving. And so yeah. people can so readily search your Facebook feed from when you were 14 years old and you make a comment that is either sounds racist or just plain is racist, and it comes back to haunt you on your Harvard application, and suddenly uh, you're going to a community college next year. Yeah. And the dance video that gave you such glory doesn't <laughs> oh, oh. It, it doesn't continue to doesn't give glory. Doesn't really continue <laughs> right. to bless you in a parallel fashion. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And you know what's funny? We even know we're doing it. Uh, and now there's a tactic on social media, which is I put out what I know is a totally inappropriate tweet or post, but I immediately delete it. Hmm. So it gets consumption. I get I get it out oh, there, uh, yeah. but I immediately delete it. Now that has really come back to hurt people because if people capture that, they can retweet it. Yeah. But but there is now even a tactic of saying I know what I'm saying is inappropriate and, and shaming, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to try to cover my tracks and get that thing off as fast as possible. But the damage has already been done. Yeah, we've yeah. got to find ways of reclaiming uh, this idea that life and death is in the power of the tongue. But I have to care that I'm imparting death to another person. So one question I had reading your book, and this fits really well with the Winston Conviction Project. What if you're in a certain political camp and you know you're shaming the other side, but you're actually getting rewarded for it? Within the group that you care about, you're not losing status, you're gaining status, almost like good for you for finally telling those people exactly what we think of them, and they ought to be ashamed of themselves, and you're in the process of shaming. So, wh Greg, what do we do when you have camps that are rewarding tactics of shaming? How, how, what do we do? What do we appeal to? How do we reel it in? Yeah, for, for me, that, that takes us... To this observation that that shame is shame as an objective condition is always relative to some community, 
Uh, so there's no such thing as shame, s plain and simple. Mm. Uh, so one and the same behavior can cause uh, you to be an object of shame in one community and honor in another. If I'm kind to a person of color, then I'll acquire shame uh, in the Aryan Brotherhood, right? That uh, I'll, I'll be a person mm -hmm. of lesser consequence in that community, and I'll be a, a person of greater consequence at Biola, uh, yeah. uh, say. And whether I feel shame, what I, whether I feel shame or feel honor, will depend on which of those two communities matter to me, right? If I don't really care what the Aryan Brotherhood thinks of me, then I won't feel any shame there, even though I am an object of shame in that community. Now, where it gets complicated is that sometimes our communities overlap, and I think we're experiencing some of this in um, on the contemporary scene uh, in response to the pandemic. If I wear uh, a mask in a certain environment, I might suffer shame in some communities uh, for being a fearful person or whatever, and I might uh, be honored in other communities for listening to the science or however, yeah. you know, however you put it. And I might care about both of those communities Right? And so I'll, I'll have this mm. complicated mix of felt honor and felt shame all at the same time. So when we're, when we're honored in communities that matter to us for shaming other people, that's the kind of case mm -hmm. uh, you have in view. I think the thing to say is um, I care about these people, and so it, it feels good to be elevated in this community. I'm not going to lie and say it doesn't. Uh, honor feels good in communities that you care about. But at the same time, uh, I don't endorse their reasons for honoring me. Mm. Right? Sometimes you can feel honor uh, without endorsing the reasons that you're being honored, just like you can feel shame without endorsing the reasons that you're feeling shame. If, if you're a person with a, a visible impairment, right, you will, be, you will undergo shame in many communities. You'll be thought of, a you'll, you'll be thought of as a person of lesser consequence mm. Uh, because of the way you look in communities that matter most to you. And you, and if your emotions are tracking reality, you'll feel that. You'll feel that shame. But that doesn't mean you endorse it, right? That doesn't mean you endorse this as a cause uh, for being shamed. Quick observation and then a question. I like what you said about overlapping communities. What we're seeing today in the argument culture is we're having a lessening of that. Yeah. We really are moving towards tribalism where our communities don't overlap much anymore, and now you get rooted in this uh, being rewarded for shaming the other because I don't have to interact with the other, really, and so it's much easier for me to shame. Yeah. Okay, if that's the case, then you there's a quote, I thought that was brilliant, on page 77. Since all people possess an estimable dignity, the judgment that no or little worth, value, or significance... Uh, i.e. Uh, low self-esteem, is always and everywhere false. So if we're doing the social construction of, th of shame, my community rewards me for certain things and I lose status for certain things, I is there any hope of an overarching principle that all of us can point to? And I know in our religious tradition, obviously we have that, we have the scriptures. But is there something rank-and-file Americans can appeal to for everybody, not just my community. Yeah. I can only express a hope. I, I don't mm. know how optimistic uh, to be about it. My hope would be that it would be something like love. Uh, so you needn't, you needn't be a Christian or devoted to the scriptures to, to feel the attraction to love as a guiding uh, principle for making these kinds of mm. decisions. So mm -hmm. when, I'm being, when I'm being honored 
for shaming people in the other camp? Uh, can I gloss that as an expression of love? And if I can't, then I ought not endorse it. I think that's about the best we can do. Hmm. Yeah, so we were, we were just, um, <laughs> you know, talking about the community, the, the different communities that, that, you know, kind of fund our ability to shame, so to speak. In other words, it is a community property that does the shaming. Then we may be the perpetrator, so to speak, by calling it out or whatever. It seems to me like one of the reciprocal values or one of the reciprocal obligations we should have as, as we acknowledge the merits of shame is to therefore, as a member of any community, feel like part of your responsibility is to tend your community's shaming mechanisms, to own them in some sense on your own. So mm. for example, if I'm sitting in a evangelical church that is really um, making hay out of shaming, you know, President Biden or uh, shaming uh, former President Trump or whatever the community, and you, you see them doing things that you've pointed out by, by almost any definition simply could not be well counted as loving. You are not doing this for this other person's mm -hmm. best interest. Mm -hmm. There's a danger, it would seem to me, in my letting the shaming go, even if someone else is doing it, a, a person in my Bible study, I have to feel an obligation and ownership of the shaming mechanism because it's community-rooted. It isn't assigned by some you know cosmic force out there. It's my, my mechanism. I think that's exactly right, and, and that's why we should be so suspicious of shaming, not just when it's happening uh, in other communities, but when it's happening in our own communities, and we should, we should call it out as uh, very rarely in the service of love. And it's, it's not just shaming, it's, it's when, uh, when shame, even, even when there's nobody doing the shaming, to go back to the, uh, the person with uh, physical, uh, visible impairments, right? a person with impairments is an object of shame in our uh, in most of our uh, communities. They're a person of lesser consequence, and they feel it. They they feel the sting of that when you, when you talk to them. They 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 feel the pain of being mm -hmm. a person of lesser consequence because of the way they look, because of their impairments. And often the response is to try to heal them of the feeling, to to try to tell them that feeling of shame is toxic. Let me try to get rid of it for oh. you and help you to be a person who doesn't feel that shame anymore. And I think that's uh, that's to let the community off the hook. Mm. The, the problem in that situation isn't the person's felt shame. The felt shame is just tracking the realities on the ground. The problem is our communities. Shame on us insofar for, for as having we... having that kind of a community. <laughs> yeah, and for feeling comfortable in that community. Oh, yeah. If I feel comfortable moving in a community that downgrades people because they have physical impairments, well, shame on me. Yeah, for feeling for for feeling as comfortable as I do in that community without calling it out, and I, and I suppose that would be a great check and balance to put in place. Every time you retweet something, mm. or you know, like it on social media, so it shows up on your Facebook page, uh, you you need to stop and think: <laughs> Am I fostering a toxic shaming environment by doing this? Even if I get a hundred likes. Yep. And oh. that's the trait, that's back to the pseudo honor yeah. that you're rewarded by doing a thing that is exactly a thing that you should probably properly feel ashamed of. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really nice um, sort of check question to have in front of you before you retweet or yeah. do whatever you do. Feminist theorists 
call this uh, assuming a traitorous identity, which means uh, what they meant was you're you're a man and you have feminist convictions, but you're in a you're playing pickup basketball and somebody tells an overt sexist joke, and you're just standing there like, oh man, now what? Am I going to be the goody two shoes to say, hey guys, I just didn't think that was funny? Like I, I was at a conference speaking about the needs of the transgender community, and a, a pastor came up to me during the break. And he goes, hey, I've got a solution to the bathroom issue. Let's just have three bathrooms, he, she, it. And I just looked at him. And again, it was, it was one of those really uncomfortable moments. <clears throat> like, okay, what am I? I said, okay, can I just say, I don't, I don't think that's funny. And he goes, oh, come on, I was joking. I said, well, I kind of think that makes it worse. But that pit in your stomach is an interesting pit in your stomach that we're just going to have to do for the sake of our community that we no longer can keep these type of practices. And that's going to be, that's going to be hard. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's where the real problems need to be addressed, that, that pit in your stomach. Mm. And when we communicate to people that the, the shame that they're feeling is toxic and unhealthy, we suggest to them that the problem is with them, that uh, mm. if, if only they would um, uh, break free of this unhealthy emotion, all would be well or something. And I want to say, no, all would not be well. All is not well if our <laughs> community is downgrading people uh, for these reasons. Yeah. That's why we talk about at the Winsome Conviction Project, every one conversation is really three conversations. There's the conversation you have with yourself as you head in. What's my feelings about this person? Am I angry? Is there tension? Because uh, that emotional contagion is going to bleed into the middle conversation. But then the post one is almost what we're talking about. When you go back and talk to your in-group, with what charity do you describe the other group, the other person from that group? And that's where I think we could really get into shaming tactics. Of, well, what do you expect from a liberal? What do you expect from a conservative? You know, that kind of a thing. So th this is on us. I love how you said this is kind of on us. And we need to start to clean up our own house before we're looking at other people's houses. Yeah. And I, and I would... You know, just for our, our, our listeners to think about this, it, it's an interesting thing. What Tim just described, where you have the pit in your stomach, do I speak up, do I not? That's, let me call it legitimately difficult, the feeling of saying, do I speak up or not? I'm like, mm -hmm. look, I'm sympathetic to the fact that that isn't the easiest thing to do. I would like to argue that perhaps a good, if you're to think about this as a spiritual discipline, is to say, let me start cultivating certain qualities in my character on the easier end of this. For example, by refusing to retweet needlessly mm. shaming tweets, yeah. despite the fact I'd be rewarded for it in this somewhat perverse reward system we have on, on the internet. And, and that doesn't cost you anything, so to speak. Yeah. Um, it just, no one knows, no one, it, and you just, it's super easy. And it also helps you cultivate a, a mindset of thinking, wait a minute, is this helpful information warning people of a danger or something? Or am I simply reinforcing thing that everybody already knows? You know, we know Nancy Pelosi's on the liberal side, okay? We know Donald Trump is on the conservative side. Mm -hmm. you, we, we don't have to help someone out by pointing that out. So I think, I, I wonder if it would be an easy thing, e uh, a helpful thing to think of developing almost like a spiritual discipline, begin with some of the things that are more easy and realizing there's gonna be bigger things to do. Yeah, I think it's nice. That, uh, the, the decision not to retweet certain things has has a kind of simplicity about it, and so it's practicable. The the decision uh, whether or not to call someone out for their inappropriate joke, uh, 
it's not only more difficult because you risk the sort of honor shame uh, dynamics. It's sometimes it's hard to know what what really is in the service of love to the mm. person who yeah. told the inappropriate joke. Uh, in my in my classrooms, I'll sometimes have students who say things that I know uh, shouldn't be said in a classroom, and it's a complicated decision what to do about that yeah. as a teacher in the classroom because. Yeah. If I call them out uh, for it, I'm, I'm, that's going to be a kind of shaming. I'll be taking them down a notch in the community of their peers. I have to think about who is this person? Can they afford to be taken down a notch? Uh, can, can I control how far they're taking down, taken down? Or is that's it really yeah. going to run out of control? Yeah. I mean, these questions are really, really uh, difficult in the kinds of circumstances you described. Tim. And one huge takeaway, and if listeners haven't done it, listen to the previous podcast. Because we talked about a, a person who had faked a hate crime and had been found guilty. And you made a great point of saying, shame has already happened. He, he was an actor. He's now lost all of his endorsements. Uh, I doubt he'll be cast in the near future. And he's been discredited. Why pile on? Mm -hmm. And it's the, it's the glee we have in the piling on. But, but let me ask you a question. Because at the Winsome Conviction Project, we're very much about how do you have fruitful, engaging conversations? So you mentioned the shameless person. And let, let me give you my, my take on it. You tell me if this is correct. So I was dating a girl in college who had never been in a Catholic church. And we were going to see some uh, Catholic churches that had been around for a long time, beautiful artwork. So we walk in and there's holy water, but she did not know it was holy water. So joking around, she put her fingers in it and flicked me in the face in front of everybody. Well, there was an audible gasp from the, the um, Catholic guide. We, we were like, and, and she honestly had a look on her face like, what, what? Now, I think you did a great job in your book of saying, okay, that person did not know the rules of the church and the significance of what that water represented. That's not the shameless person. The shameless person, if I understand this correctly, is, oh, I fully know now that that's holy water and I don't care. Now I stick my fingers in it and I'm still flicking everybody. That's the shameless person. Correct. Yeah. And and they might do that actually to make the point that they disagree with Catholic yeah, they theology re the Catholic regarding Church, holy yeah. water. Yeah. yeah. My own view is that she wouldn't even have to know that uh, the, the, the rule that she had violated in order to be a shameless person. What she'd have to, if she could tell that she was, that her social standing was in free fall for whatever reason, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And she, she felt there was no painful uh, feeling associated with that. Then she's shameless. Uh, so what She doesn't care. She doesn't she care. She doesn't care. Okay, yeah. so that, perfect. That's why, um, and I broke up. I broke up on the spot. I just felt like I needed to make no, a You got to draw the line somewhere. Yeah, so, That's good. So shamelessness, you can think of shamelessness as just when when that, uh, remember there's the objective and subjective side of shame. Mm -hmm. When the subjective side comes apart in certain ways from the objective side. So you know that you're in social freefall, but you experience no painful emotion. Mm. Uh, that okay. Then you're shameless. Okay, so let me ask you this, your advice on this. And we're literally going to write down everything you say, Tim, Greg. Tim, you're already married. You don't need to go back to this girl. I'm just no, telling no, you. No, not back to the girl. But let's say you have a person that you really feel like is shameless. Like you, you are shaming people within another community in ways that you just feel distressed about and you want to talk to that person what would that sound like talking to a person who's like, I, I know I'm violating these sacred um, 
artifacts or I'm violating these sacred rules. I don't care. I think they should be violated. What kind of community, what's the starting point of having a fruitful conversation with a person who's purposefully, gleefully shameless? Yeah. I, I mean, the real answer is I'm not sure, but but here's an analog. Imagine you've got somebody who's, who's think, think about the person who is guilty and they know what they've done, but they feel no guilt for what they've done, hmm. right? So that, there's an analog. And what do we do with a person who's done something? They know what they've done, but they feel no guilt for what they've done. And, and, and we want to help them into the feeling of guilt yeah. for the guilt that they actually embody. Uh, the conversation looks like you try to, you try to tell them, you, you try to talk about the value of the standard that they've violated. Can't you see that having done this, is, you're going to have this effect and that mm. effect? And, and, and hopefully by foregrounding some of the consequences of what they've done, you might get them to feel some of the guilt that's appropriate for what they've done. Maybe the same thing is true of uh, shame. When someone is in social freefall and they just don't care, um, a, a conversation about the real value of community, about the, the value of belonging in a community. Mm. Can't you see? Here are all the goods that mm -hmm. uh, come from deep belonging in a community. And can't you see that when you when you do these kinds of things and you isolate yourself from community and you suffer communal freefall of the sort you're feeling, you're 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 uh, you're isolating yourself from all of these deep goods, something like that. I mean, maybe that's no, a I way think to that's good. approach it. Well, this, is, this has been fascinating, Greg, and I'm grateful that you're willing to, to stay around for one more segment on this because I have a couple of burning questions I'd love to ask and get answered. And this and is rarefied air. I do not think, correct me, Rick Langer, I don't think we've ever had a person on for a third segment. We're honoring Greg. We are honoring or Greg. Or Greg's very long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> no, we love it. Uh, so, uh, hey, thank you so much for uh, jumping in with the Winsome Conviction podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate all your support. You can check us out uh, anywhere you find your podcast. Please tell us to your friends. We'd love to um, expand our audience, but we're so appreciative of the audience that we do have. Thank and you. you can also find resources that we've made available on the winsomeconviction.com website. So check us out there as well and uh, continue to listen as we will be following up on this with a further conversation with our good friend Greg Tanelsoff. <laughs>